Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. Recently, my co-host Kevin Martin and I had a great conversation with Di Holman, Chief Human Resources Officer at Virgin Pulse. She described their approach to creating a culture of continuous learning, some aspects of their flexible work policy, and how these and more align with the organization's overall values and culture. But before we get to that, did you know that in addition to being a human capital research firm, I4CP also has an executive search practice that specializes in recruiting diverse and high-performing human capital leaders. We help our clients, whether I4CP members or not, to successfully build their human capital leadership teams through effective placement of chief people officers, as well as leaders of diversity and inclusion, talent acquisition, learning and development, total rewards, and their people analytics functions. To learn more, just visit i4cp.com forward slash executive search. Okay, now for that discussion with Di Holman, Chief Human Resources Officer at Virgin Pulse. Thanks so much, Tom, and um, want to thank everyone for what they're throwing out there right now in the uh, uh, in the chat as well. I had no idea that Culture Innovation made Qualtrics books to read list, and one of our guests in the audience just pointed that out. That's awesome, and so that's nice to see. But uh, I'm really excited about today's call. So, Tom, thanks for choosing me as your co-host uh, for this week's call for two reasons. One, absolutely love the topic of culture of learning. Um, I remember in 2000, I think it was 2013 in our critical issues report, we highlighted a section on there saying, make your organization one of learn it alls, not know it alls back in 2013. And that became a big mantra, you know, later on with, you know, with, with others saying it all over the place. And the person that we've got here, Di Holman, I've had the pleasure of knowing Di for several years, and um, I've had the pleasure of actually uh, presenting to her HR leadership team at a couple of her uh, companies that she's been with. And one thing that's always really impressed me about Di is that she, I, I've always gotten the impression that, Di, that you are the learn it all and you are really pushing your teams, you know, a, a leader who brings someone from the outside in to help raise the gaze and challenge them is trying to push their team to be able to learn it all as well. And so, um, and you've been a member um, of our chief learning and talent officer board for several years. And so you've contributed in many ways, but you've had a really interesting journey in HR. And if you could tell us with multiple different kinds of companies, if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, your background, your journey to this point, what brought you to Virgin Pulse, you know, about uh, going, you know, a year and a half ago or so, or two, yeah, going on, going, going on, on two, two years. years. Yeah. So welcome and uh, let us know a little bit about you. 
Well, thank you very much. And it's so great to see uh, you guys again. There's no better way I want to spend my Thursday here than with, with this esteemed team from, I, team from I4CP, as well as the, I think we have 183 participants on, saw some of my previous companies um, in the audience here today. So good, good to see that support. Um, many would like to say that I kind of can't keep a job here, um, but you can see I've been through uh, many companies. I started early in my career at Mass Mutual. Um, those are you know, really formative years for me, especially in the learning space. Um, and then you can see just a lot of different organizations that I had the great opportunity of being a part of um, from different industries, you know, from 1,800 people to 350,000 people globally. But there's one thing, if I was to say, like there's one kind of thread that pulls through the company for me, it's actually been a couple of things. One is there's always been an element of inflection. The business is going through an inflection point that really requires an element of learning, cultural change. And so that's first. And then second, you know, for me, it was also about being a lifelong learner. Um, and I4CP has been a key part of my learning. And so um, those were always key tenants of, of my journey. You know, on the right-hand side, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but it was kind of fun to reflect on what were some of the key themes over my career. And I think the one that really resonates that we're gonna speak a lot about today is uh, to me, and it was a learning that came kind of the hard way, quite honestly, which was um, know the problem you're there to solve. Because I think a lot of us, right, in our roles, we have a lot of tools in our toolkits and it's critically important to understand the business, to understand the culture, and to understand where they want to go so that you can help them to really truly drive uh, to success in the future versus coming in with the, hey, here's the solution. Now, what's the question we're trying to solve or the problem we're trying to solve? So just a yeah, little bit about me. And, and, and I'll tell you, you know, I think one thing you mentioned just a little bit ago, Di, of, you know, there's always been an inflection point. Well, geez, Louise, everyone on this call has been faced with multiple inflection points over the, just the past couple of years, and they're going to continue. And so having that learn it all, that cultural learning is has got to be instrumental, as well as never losing sight on what matters most, to your point of knowing what the business is doing, right? Because you can get, you can get uh, pushed in multiple directions without that. Absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, I've done pretty much every job in HR right now. And I think all of that. And really, I consider myself a business leader who has happens to have an expertise in talent and culture. And really, to, to, to wrap up the question that you had, um, that really led me to my role in Virgin Pulse as the chief people officer. I like to believe that all of my experiences and my learnings really um, equipped me with, uh, with the tools and the, the experience that I needed to take on this role. So, and, and as you talk about Virgin Pulse, so here's our question. So everyone just pull up the chat right now, if it's working for you, and you know, throw it in there. Who founded Virgin Pulse? And what was it originally called? So Di, how about a little bit of the background here? Okay, yes, so um, actually, if yep, we got Richard Branson. So Richard Branson did found uh, the company. Uh, in 2004, if you can believe it. So it was, we were originally part of the Virgin Group, along with, you probably know their brand best with Virgin Atlantic, Galactic, et cetera. Um, and the original, um, the original name of the company was called Virgin Health Miles. And so actually, if we can go to the next, this is perfect. 
it might build a little bit here. So let's be a little bit patient, but you can see the, the tremendous growth that we've experienced from 2004 up to current day, 2023. And so you can see, we started with more of a wellness uh, emphasis, you know, for those of you that, um, you know, you track your steps or you track your healthy habits, it really, that was kind of the, the initial start of the company, kind of that positive lifestyle change. And of course, Richard Branson is probably one of a, a great uh, role model for that. He lives and breathes that every day. Um, and then over the past almost 18 years here, right, 18, 19 years, we've really progressed through acquisitions. So several acquisitions uh, to bring us to where we are today, which is a 400 million revenue company, um, which is focused on the digital health platform. So we have everything from well-being to health, um, et cetera, across the board. Now you can, you can keep turning, Tom, you're doing great. Um, and we have, you can see several clients. I mean, we are a B2B business uh, and we have many clients. I think many of you on the call today uh, are probably clients of ours um, from everything from coaching to um, our live services team to a lot of the navigation tools that we provide. If we go to the next slide, we also have a reach around the world in terms of our colleagues. So you can see here, we have eight, over 1800 colleagues uh, and growing. And a lot of that, quite honestly, was a collection of the different acquisitions that we had over the course uh, of those 17 very robust years. I will say we are invested. Our investor is um, Richard Branson had sold us about four years ago as we merged with a company called Redbrick. And so now we now have investment from private equity firm Marlin Equity Partners, um, who I was just sharing with some of the people on the call. We just had a board meeting and they've been just a tremendous partner for us in terms of us help, really helping to shape the company and grow the culture. Um, so you can see here, we have many colleagues around the board with 52% of them being remote. And I know we're gonna speak a little bit about hybrid, which is on a lot of people's minds um, as well. And we can talk about that. So, hey, Tom, real quick, as um, uh, before we go to the next slide, I'm just curious, the 52% remote really yes. stands out here, Guy. And, you know, can you talk, you know, one of the things that I'm sure everyone in this call is hearing from an executive about, or maybe their board is, Productivity, you know, there's so much in the headline around, well, productivity is at an all-time low, uh, but other research, we have a pulse, virgin pulse, we have a pulse survey in the field right now, uh, we call them pulse, meaning four short questions on productivity, and we've asked, what's your work model, and since you rolled out that work model, what's been the effect on productivity, and, and overwhelmingly, the audience that's answered the poll right now has told us that productivity has gone up since they've rolled out their work models right now. And so there's so many questions around it. Can you tell us about, you know, how you account for productivity, you know, being a 52% remote team and, and what's that all about? Yeah. And actually, you know, just to even clarify, we were 52% um, just off the bat as a company. And then about a year ago, we asked people, you know, during COVID, I think everybody was having, you know, making the same decisions about, do we go back to the office? And we kind of like, you know, crawled a little bit. Some people kind of ran back to the office, others didn't. And we actually did a survey with our population. And what we found is 87% of them, because we were actually a work from home. Um, we had very strict COVID restrictions that you could only come into the office if you were vaccinated. Um, and so, um, uh, that really 
you know, promoted a lot of people remaining at home. And so that number actually rose because 87% of the population said we will not come back to the office on a full-time basis. And that really helped inform, you know, where we wanted to go with our hybrid policy. And so we did, you know, many people still to this day, because you can see we have very limited office uh, space. Many people to this day, I think that number is probably up in the 60s now, where most people are working from home on a very, very regular basis. The only location where it's an office first is our Bosnia um, office, where we have about 600 people. And that's really just because of the culture and kind of connection. It's a very um, provincial town. But you asked about uh, productivity. We actually have found that productivity has increased as well. And why is that is... Um, because again, people feel like they, they have their balance. They can kind of compartmentalize um, some of the work that they're that they need to take care of from a personal perspective, as well as also the dedicated time to focus on on the work. Now, I will say um, we do. There's some support that has to go with it. There was actually, you know, one of the slides that I had here was there is some new research about how one of the biggest distractions is meetings. Um, I don't know if you saw that from Microsoft yesterday, and so we're trying to put in place some really strong standards about how we can continue to be productive at a very hybrid um, approach and having meeting protocols, having moments that matter is a key part of it. We do measure productivity. We're very, uh, every town hall we have, we drive a corporate scorecard so people know where they fit, how they fit in to our overall business goals. We just drove um, our goal cascade down throughout the, the organization. So everyone's goals, we, we manage through KPIs. So it's a different way of managing of productivity is less around people in the office or FaceTime and more about the results and the work that you're doing and whether you're able to accomplish your KPIs and meet those results. Uh, um, that Everything you just said resonates so much. I mean, Tom and I are sitting here, we just collected one of our colleagues, Molly Lombardi, is the lead on a, on a study around productivity, a large global study on productivity, not this pulse survey we did. But without a doubt, and we haven't published any of the findings yet, but the, the criticality of goal clarity and the, uh, the, the performance feedback, the forward-looking developmental performance feedback, but that goal clarity is off the charts important. And, um, and so that, that really resonates quite a bit. So, Di, go ahead. You were going to say something? I was just going to say, it's about shifting from uh, activity to outcomes. And that's Absolutely. what we have to do is that and how your outcomes then align up to the business outcomes. It's the most important thing that the change that we had to make. Absolutely. And now, th this was interesting. We, we, we want to move to that to the shifting of the learning culture here. And, mm -hmm. and Tom was going to bring up. So, folks, bring out in the chat again. Okay. But what do you, what do you, what has your been experience for those in the uh, virtual hemisphere here? What's been your experience for hallmarks of companies you've been with or organizations you've been with um, about a learning culture, a continuous learning culture? So we'd love to see what the participants have to say. Just put one word in there or two words, if you will. And mistakes are seen as learning opportunities. What do you think about that, Di? I love it. I <laughs> it's it's my number one. You got to be failing or you're not learning. Yeah. I love these words. Yeah, yeah like some of these other ones. Yeah, growth mindset, continuous improvement. 
Fun. Cold learning over pushed. Fun. Definitely for it. engagement. We forget about the fun, don't we? My gosh. Yeah. Oh, leaders modeling. Yeah. Leaders. Oh, so this is great. Yeah. And so with this, Tom, if you advance here, just and keep it going, folks. I think this is this is so great. Um, I just wanted to, to, or Tom and I wanted to remind everyone about you know productivity. We found that in our study on culture fitness, that productivity accounts for up to twenty percent of the variability in productivity. Now, this new research we're going to be revealing coming up soon goes even deeper than that. It's going to be really, really helpful to companies. Let's just say that trust is such an underlying importance here. But um, as you can see in that research on culture fitness, one thing we found in that research, but we had seen this time and time again over the years, is that learning is a trait of healthy, very healthy cultures. And the way to read that is learning at, at, at organizations that have very healthy cultures they're five times more likely to indicate learning as a cultural trait than organizations with unfit cultures. That's how to read that slide. And then over here, Dinah, just love to get, I know this is intertwined a lot of this with what you're gonna share, but from our research over the years, what we have found is that traits of a learning culture is when an organization espouses, um, learning is an espoused value, if you would, they measure learning's effectiveness, the impact of learning. Managers are rewarded for developing and moving talent. And then we put a couple of leader practices here from our research we did on the leadership behaviors that matter most. And these two are very powerful at the bottom that demonstrate or that reinforce a continuous learning culture and that uh, we know some of the best organizations measure their leaders on in these areas here. But Di, why don't we turn it back to you? Because I know you could talk to all of these here and you're going to be kind of infusing these in what you share, but what does a learning culture mean to you personally and um, and at Virgin Pulse? And, and talk to us about what you're doing around that. I'd love to, yeah. So, I mean, I like to keep things very simple. And to me, learning is simply about an organization that continues to, to grow and, and improve. Right, it's, it's an evolution. And I think that's both not only for the organization, but also each individual who makes up that. I mean, we all make up the organization, so personally and professionally. And you know, to kind of start, I started reflecting on what do I think are the five hallmarks? And I, I loved the one around you know, making mistakes because you know, just a quick story here that kind of, it, it helped to really, this was actually several years ago, early in my career. Um, and I was actually the head of talent at that time. And it was for a very large organization. Many people will probably guess this as you saw the list of companies that I just listed here. Um, but we actually used to have this um, event where every month we would have a round table of our top talent that would go in front of the CEO. And we would have this big best practice sharing and we would have, it would culminate with the dinner with the CEO as well as a couple of other C-suite um, members. And I remember this one time, we were actually trying to shift the company culture. And during this one dinner, the thought was, hey, let's all go around the table. Now keep in mind, there was about 35 people in the room. Uh, let's all go share our biggest failure. And that was the question. Everybody go around the room and share your biggest failure. And what, what was interesting to me was you could have heard a pin drop. And I started really thinking about this, like, well, why are people sharing? 
And it, it dawned on me is because I don't, I think there has to be an element of, first of all, a safety culture that people do actually feel that they could fail. And, and here it is. So you have the opportunity. It's either a huge risk or reward because you're going to share your biggest failure in front of a CEO that you probably just met for the first time. And so there, that, that really stuck with me and kind of helped to shape what I felt was the learning culture. And I think why the two most important pieces here were um, the importance of failing, right? We probably could have done a lot of upfront context setting around culture of safety and on all of that that leads then into people feeling safe that if they're failing, they're learning. And second, I think this is also the role of a leader, right? Is that we had an opportunity, maybe if the CEO or the leaders would have gone first, you know, the dinner would have gone a little bit differently. Um, but but it just really stuck with me about the importance that part of learning has got to be failing. And I try to do that every single day. Um, I kind of say, if I'm not failing every day, then I'm not learning and I'm not growing. And I try to impart a lot of that on my team uh, and in the organizations that I've been a part of. Um, the second hallmark, just to kind of keep us moving here, is this idea of long-term you know, growth mindset. So I love that whole saying of, of um, you know, what is it? I think it's like, if you keep doing the same thing, you know, you're, and, and but then expect a different result. I think it's the definition of insanity or something. Yeah. But um, <laughs> to me, I think you have to, if you're thinking about kind of a learning culture, there has to be some element of the why behind it. And so I wanted to share maybe with this, with this group a little bit about the work that we're doing here in Virgin Pulse and why, you know, the why behind uh, a learning culture is very important. And so having this idea of a long-term growth mindset um, was very important for us. So when I started almost, like I, like I said, almost two years ago, we were at an inflection point in the company. We had been a very good company, a great company, but like many companies, we needed to scale to our next level of growth. We had aspirations of being a billion dollar company. And for us, we needed to accelerate that growth from 400 million to a billion requires a lot of, of shifting. And so we went through a massive transformation that you can see a little bit of elements here where we had to really reflect and rethink on everything that we did. What was our our strategy? What were our processes? Um, how do we go to market? And I think also double clicking into how do we actually work? How do we make sure that we're growing and we're thriving? And that to me is always about, you know, creating a learning culture. So if you go to the next slide, Tom, I'll just kind of keep the story going. One of the things we had to do was we had to assess Okay, if this is our strategy, this is where we're going, we need to have that growth mindset. Let's think about the culture that we have to support that. And um, this is a shout out to the great work of the cultural renovation because we actually did use that book. And it's a great um, uh, operating book in my mind to kind of help us think about the culture. And that's exactly what we did is we started thinking about the, the culture, the values and the behavior. And we actually launched a cultural survey that told us a couple of things. Uh, it did look at like how we scored around learning, collaboration, et cetera. And the good news was we actually had a solid foundation there. We were a very collective group. And you can imagine this was, you know, not just Virgin Pulse Providence, but we had, we had really not knitted together the nine acquisitions that were part of this company. So it was a great opportunity for us to really now think holistically about how do we drive a very global learning culture. So we did a whole culture survey. We found that we were great consensus collaborators, learning so-so, um, 
And so what you can see here though, is really our shift then. So we said, we have to, let's keep many of these elements, the things that we do well, collaboration that's gonna to continue to be key. And then there we became six anchors, we called them anchors of things that we had to focus on. And really in terms of helping the company to grow and be able to execute upon its new strategy. And learning became a key piece of that. Accountability became a key piece of that. And you can see here um, what became um, our core values. So I do believe, you know, learning culture has to be around the part of our DNA. And that's in Virgin Pulse, this is part of our DNA. So if you were to unpack each of those values, especially in the grow forward, there's elements of there about take risk, fail, fail fast. And then with our leadership behaviors, you can see our expectation had to be with our leaders and it demonstrates agility. If we want to be speed and growth minded, we have to be comfortable with failing and failing fast and moving forward, which was a new kind of muscle to develop in the company. And so we use these as really our um, North Star in terms of the people we bring into the company, how we assess our talent and how we look to develop our leaders and our employees along the way. Hey, Diane, can you... Or go ahead, Tom. Yep. Yeah, I just wanted to note um, great, great uh, example of of what Kevin shared earlier. Our research that showed uh, high performing companies more often, um, you know, including uh, learning culture and continuous uh, skilling in in their purpose and values and mission. Um, I also just wanted to surface a, sort of just an operational question from Jennifer in the chat. Uh, you mentioned the culture survey. Who did you use to to execute on that culture survey? Was it done entirely internally or or a vendor? Um, it was done. Uh, we actually did two things. One was we sent the culture renovation books out to all of our SLT members and above to really help them understand. Because if you can think about it, right, you saw the progression of our company. At one point, we were fifty people, so a lot of the maturing was, you know, helping our leaders and, and our people to even think about what is culture and what is, you know, what does it mean to have cultural renovation and why culture is such an important part of that, that tie to strategy. And to answer very specifically, we did engage an external firm. We used Culture 15, um, which is out of uh, the UK. Um, and, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm happy to provide offline some information on that, but between I4CP's data and research, as well as the actual tool, we felt that we had a successful outcome and we did it in a very short period of time within two months, we were able to shift. Hey Di, where, where I wanted to ask you and, and it's exactly what Kaylee Savajo and uh, Chad put is what kind of, what did accountability look like? How did you know that your leaders, for instance, were you know leading change, but I think it demonstrating agility which, you know, right here, how did you know? Can you give an example of that? And how did you, so that, you know, and, and if they weren't able to do it, what was the next step? Yeah, so this is actually newer. I wanna just kind of preface this, right? This is, you know, so this piece, the leadership behaviors are new. You know, the accountability piece, just to go to that, because I do think that's an important piece when that is part of the reason why, as you saw the reimagined Virgin Pulse was we started seeing with our data, it came out in our data of that the uh, results orientation and accountability was maybe not as, as uh, strong of a muscle for the company in the past. And, and it's not to say that we were different than other companies, you know, that were 
not as good or not as strong. But I do think what happens when you have a very fast moving startup company, there's a lot of emphasis and focus on products and clients and people and customers. And we're just now at our next stage of maturity, which says those things are great. Let's now take a step back. And so accountability wasn't a strong suit. We So we had to just really be very specific and intentional with our language and words that said, we need to hold people accountable in tandem with the values and behaviors. This is a believe it or not kind of statement. Um, we actually never had a performance management system. So even the idea of measuring accountability only became real this past year. Great. Looking forward to, tra- you know, tracking how that goes for you and lessons learned, right? Absolutely. As, that, as you progress. So, so the next one, and I'll kind of Keep us moving faster here. Although great chats, keep please keep it going in the chat. I think this is great. Want it to be more interactive. You know, this is important, right? I mean, I think um, you know this to me is the hallmark of the companies I've been a part of. You know, leadership has to set the example. I mean, nothing happens overnight. It can't just be all all of the employees do this and we're going to do something different. And, and quite honestly, at the end of the day, all the words you see here has to map to the actions. And so. You know, this is something that we spend a lot of time on and have been at Virgin Pulse because we truly believe leaders shape the culture. Um, In some of my previous roles, I had the great opportunity of doing cultural integration work. And, you know, there's this idea of grassroots culture. I believe that to some extent, quite honestly. Um, To me, it's a stronger play when you've got the top down. And so we have spent a lot of time with this, starting from our CEO. And so what you see here, is actually an example of our structure at Virgin Pulse. We have, um, because we believe that it takes, it's gonna take all of us to drive this throughout the organization. And so it starts with our CEO and our CEO, Chris Mahalik, is a tremendous CEO. He understands the importance of culture. He understands his role in that. And he he's very visible. Uh, and a strong communicator and role models it every single day about setting expectations for this team. You know, one of the things that I wanted to call out here is we actually, this is probably maybe slightly different than how some other companies do this, but we started saying last year, we just cannot have 11 people or even 28 people, quite honestly, responsible or accountable. This, we have to drive this down. And so last year we established a team called Influential Leaders Group. And, um, and we really see this as our core uh, disciples of driving that change. They also role model, if you can kind of see it in the upper right corner, our expectations of who's an influential leader is someone who actually represents a learning culture. They're curious, they invest in themselves, and they also invest in their talent. And so we have leveraged a lot on this group of leaders to help us drive this change and drive the learning culture um, throughout the organization. And, and and they're helping us to lead it along the way. And so, um, and so that is, you know, that that to us is we believe is like the special sauce, if you will, about how we're going to be able to get traction across the organization. And then if we go to the next oh, hey, slide. Di, Di, real quick, just to yeah. kind of go back in here, there's a great question in here around how did you define who the influential leaders were in that group? And And this is a great question because one of the key elements to culture renovation in the book you cited that that our CEO came out with and our research shows is you've got to be able to identify the influencers and the detractors. And so how did you go about doing that? What went into that? 
So it's a great question. And I saw the word around high potential. So we did start up, I, I'm a believer in is at least, you know, again, some of this is remnants of my past lives and other companies where I was running Crotonville and leadership development. I always believe you have to have top performers though, right? That's like the ticket on the, you know, that's table stakes, quite honestly. So all of our influential leaders had to be viewed as high performers and accountable results-driven leaders in our company. Um, we then did look to high potential. And for us, it was a very immature kind of way of looking at leaders here. But we did look to um, those individuals that we felt um, were uh, strong in change. So we kind of did mini assessments, if you will. We didn't do a full 360s, but it was we started assessing talent against a couple of elements. One is the whole change, because that's very strong for us as a company. Who are those people that we believe could be very strong in their change advocates? You used a great word, which I thought was influencers. Not everybody actually in the influential leadership group are necessarily people managers. So we do have a few people just by their nature of their social network and their ability to influence people around them. Um, we wanted them to be part of that group. Um, but we we did went through a classic nomination process. And then as a leadership team, the ELT last spring um, met together and started assessing all of the nominations against the criteria and came up with a, a group of 94 leaders. That That is very interesting, um, what you just said, that it's not all just people managers, that that influential leaders group, some of them are, in, are influencers, they're influential um, um, just because of the impact that they can have on the organization, even if they don't manage people. Um, I also just love the fact that those two layers are here and it's not just the executive leadership team and the senior leadership team. Um, one of the findings from our culture renovation original study and then the book was was exactly this, that leadership needs to set the example, that they need to model the behaviors uh, that you're looking for in your culture, including uh, in your learning culture. Um, but too often, I think companies maybe see that that recommendation, that requirement, and they stick with the CEO and the senior leadership team only uh, instead of really driving that down to the lowest level people manager. So that's great to see. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's and again, it's it's a it's a journey, right? So we are, <laughs> but I do feel like this has been a great structure. We had to put some sort of discipline and structure in place to help us to kind of accelerate um, the, the transformation that was required. Um, and then the last hallmark in my mind of, of, um, of this is it can't just be the one and done, right? Like, okay, we're done here. You know, kind of true to the spirit of a learning culture is that we have to constantly learn, grow, evolve, change. So there's even things as we looked at Reimagine VP about a year ago that we do different, right? That we look at differently because we're we've we've um, we've learned more. But I do I did want to call out a couple of the tools that we do use. Um, it has to be part of our DNA, right? About how we work, and so. Clearly, the, the performance management approach is a way for continuous feedback. We've already chatted about that. I mean, like many companies, we do things like hackathons. We have a very strong uh, technology base uh, of engineers who, for them, is always iterating, especially as it relates to products for our, for our clients. Um, we have uh, just a couple that I wanted to call up that may be different or unique to us is we've, we're starting to instill this whole after-action review. And... You know, in my past life, especially, this was a key part of just if you're always making it a part of even after a meeting, doing a simple like plus delta, would you like and what can we do different next time to be even better if that's a, even a more safer kind of phrase around, you know, it's stunk versus, hey, here's one thing that we could do that would make it even better if. So we're starting to implement a lot of that. 
Um, the, what I wanted to call out kind of uh, uh, were things like this coffee with Chris. So Chris is our CEO and using listening sessions, I think, you know, you can never be, uh, and our CEO, you know, Chris is a very vulnerable, strong leader that way. And he's very open to feedback on a regular basis. And so we've tried to, in addition to things like engagement surveys, make part of listening the way that we work. So having open, like no agendas, uh, coffees with Chris. The other thing is, um, you know, I think we all know that that mental health and stress are, are um, uh, global challenges and especially in the work environment. And so, you know, this holistic approach to learning, sometimes it's not just a process or a new training or a tool. Sometimes it's just being able to take time to reflect and rejuvenate yourself. And so we try to infuse a lot of that in our culture as well by doing things like, I mean, we are a wellness company after all, health and wellness. And so infusing things like, um, you know, well-being flex hours, um, work anywhere, kind of celebratory uh, listening sessions is, we feel, a great way of, of continuing to be a learning culture. Hey, Di, I'm going to interject something here. I thought this was fascinating. I just saw this the other day um, where Richard, Richard Branson came out and acknowledged that uh, he said that he he literally went into a state of some form of depression for a couple of months. And that was when, um, you know, during the pandemic, you know, so many of the businesses around hotels or travel, et cetera, you know, they shut down Virgin's business in so many ways and it affected, you know, he said he had lost $1.5 billion and it depressed him, not necessarily because his wealth had gone down, but because he couldn't afford, you know, what would be the impact on all the employees at Virgin's business? And I just wanted to know what's been the, has there been any impact, I guess, or what's your reaction to the so the founder of Virgin coming out and acknowledging his own mental health issues in regards to that, especially being a health and well-being company. Well, I mean, I absolutely, um, you know, he is a person that I admire personally and so many people admire because of that. I think what he displays is an element of, first of all, transparency, right? I mean, and he's also, I mean, I don't know how many people know this as well, but he's very public and has done a lot of work around dyslexia. And so just even in addition to mental illness and things of that sort has brought brought maybe topics that we've not typically talked about in the past um, to light. Um, and so I think, you know, give him great respect for that, for his transparency and also vulnerability. And I think, you know, when we look at Virgin Pulse, we try to, while, um, you know, while he he looks at it holistically, we, we, we model the same thing, right? We're you know, our CEO is very vulnerable. We, we speak a lot about, we actually just at the board meeting the other day, we we're speaking about, because one of the, you know, we try to model what we give to our clients. And so one of the tools that we give to clients is uh, coaching. So we have live coaching that's available for our clients. And that is, you know, 20, 30 minute um, coaching sessions. And we just tracked with the board the other day, what are the top areas of focus? And as you can imagine, stress is number one, mental health, this feeling of depression, um, weight management. I mean, a lot of these kind of go hand in hand. And so we try to also do what we're doing for our clients and bring that internally as well. And so being mindful of that, how can we help our own employees um, to feel that they're healthy, that they have people to talk to, and that we can minimize some of that burnout or stress that's that may be getting in the way. And, and if anything, quite honestly, just eliminate the stigma 
about talking about things like this. Yeah, and 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 we've been talking, or you've been talking about the importance of your leaders modeling, leading change, demonstrating agility. So clearly, leadership effectiveness, leadership development is really important. Can you talk to us about your your approach towards leadership development at Virgin Pulse? Any programs uh, you know that you're rolling out or that you found most effective? Absolutely. So I think. Um, and it kind of plays to as a kind of the caveat here is like, this is fairly new, right? So there's been a progression, company strategy, defining the culture, values and behaviors. And now we're at the phase of really how do we help? And we've been investing in our leaders, again, since that structure that I just shared with you, we've been investing. But now we're really trying to say, listen, we believe, and I think most companies, right, is people managers are critical. They're critical to help drive the learning culture. They're critical to drive engagement. They're critical to drive a connection, especially in this hybrid world. And so we don't underestimate how important that is. And we want to invest in every people manager. So you saw we have 322 people managers. And so this is an example of a program that we are launching next month, which is going to, it's going to be a foundation to put everybody on the same kind of page around the expectations of what it means to be a people manager here at Virgin Pulse. And, and quite honestly, we've never done this before. This is a blank piece of paper. A lot of learning, again, had been, you know, just as you evolved as um, technical to people manager. And so we're being very intentional uh, and thoughtful about how we do this. The programs, so this is the first of, of a series of programs that we'll do. They're rooted, they're, excuse me, rooted in business strategy. You can see here, you know, to map our hybrid model, we want to have some things that are, you know, virtual and some things that, you know, we're going to take advantage of maybe some regional labs where people can practice with each other and, and join a cohort. Um, it really follows our leadership success profile and those behaviors that you saw on, on previous slides. And what we're trying to emphasize, especially in this program, is people development, right? The manager's role in developing themselves and their talent, uh, leading change, because that's gonna continue in every company. You don't have to be going through transformational change. It's just a daily change. And then your most authentic self, because who you are and how you show up every day is really around, um, you know, is really what plays to what culture we wanna be. Uh, and, and and that's gonna be critical for it. So we, we do as kind of supplement for the leadership essentials, uh, we do have mentoring circles in place where we have our um, we have mentoring circles. We have leadership summits. We have um, ongoing monthly communication meetings with our with our leaders and managers just to keep again fresh what's going on in the company and a lot of the learning topics. Hey, hey Di, I just want to give you some some kudos here on this program and and anyone on your team that was involved in building it. Um, I I come from a background in L and D and. Uh, it's always great to see programs like this that are that are blended in nature, and by blended, I mean they're using both uh, individual approaches as well as group learning approaches, the individual and the social, and also blending the formal with the informal. Uh, I'm also seeing here the personal reflection and practice building in that application level, uh, which is great to see, and also combating what L&D uh, people call the forgetting curve, which is if all you get is a lecture or reading materials, the formal training content, you're going to quickly forget much of that material, up to 90% of it within a matter of weeks. Uh, but having the leadership lab and then the reflection and practice that'll that'll boost that retention uh, figure for the learning back up significantly. So kudos on on mixing all these different elements into what looks like a, a great blended program. Thank you. Well, 
I'm going to pile on here in, in another way. Diet. What I what I love about it, you know, one of the key practices that we know makes a huge difference in culture, health, and driving productivity. And I mean, we we can go over and over and over again with the impact of it. But it's when you hold your people leaders accountable for both the business outcomes, the ultimate end outcome, as well as what we call employee outcomes, engagement, retention, um, you know, things like that. And I love how you've clearly defined what success looks like up here. And you're actually tying it back in. You're making no bones about it, that the manager is involved, you play a role in the engagement of your people because the engagement matters this way. Exactly. Yeah, I think, and one of the things I would kind of say here is this is going to start from the top down. So, you know, it's interesting. We actually, I think there was a question around who designed this. Um, We actually used internal and and we used that group that you saw earlier, the ELT, SLT, um, really helped us to shape, obviously, the leadership behaviors were a driver and it helped to inform this as well as we have an SLT, a small group of, of people where, again, they're, they're being, a, I think I'm a believer in part of learning culture is also leveraging the people that you have in your company um, to help create. Um, that I believe is a, is a way to help drive the change and also hold um, shared accountability throughout, so. Thanks for addressing that question. Uh, I think it was Marissa that asked that in the chat. We also had a question from Erica. Uh, again, people like to know the, the nuts and bolts of programs like this when they get presented. Uh, who do you use for the 360s? She's asking, and who do you have, uh, and do you have a mentoring match program uh, for the circles? So um, to address the first one, um, so I'm a believer in customized 360s. Um, <laughs> So, so what we will look to do is to map. Now, granted, many of the leadership behaviors, if you look at many different companies, you probably could not guess who has what leadership success profile because there's a lot of similarities. Everybody wants to have leaders that are, you know, agile and driving change. Um, but we will create, uh, we'll probably look to a tool we're looking, exploring now. We use BetterWorks for our uh, performance management, and we're exploring maybe a possible template for them, but infusing our leadership success profile behavior. So we're very specific, at least that's my, been my philosophy over the years, of having a customized where you've got your specific behaviors, but you can use whatever tool you want, right? There's so many there's so many opportunities externally. In terms of the, the mentoring circles, um, we did actually matched people. We matched people. So the way that they're structured is we either have one ELT member or two SLT members who lead the mentoring circle. And what I, we worked with um, our diversity ERGs, as well as my team on kind of doing the matching from even the mentor perspective, because what I also wanted was, especially like in the SLT, you want to have someone who's maybe more of a tough love uh, mentor, and then maybe someone who's you know, kind of matching someone who can complement that. We then looked to, we asked all of our mentees what they were looking for, because um, I think it's just a great way to get a little bit more specificity and clarity on some of the objectives and goals that you're trying to accomplish from a development. And so we tried to map as best that we could who were great in these areas from the mentors with maybe who was, where was this a gap with some of our mentees? But there was a process we used. And great. Um, yeah, no, that uh, great and, and great to hear the 
that it, you mentioned earlier that your your senior leaders were involved in the design of the program, obviously uh, verifying you know what leadership behaviors align most with your vision and mission values and so on. Um, but then also involving them, it sounds like as teachers, as part of the mentor circles and, and so on. Uh, again, a finding that I4CP research in multiple studies over the years has found correlated to, to stronger performance. I'm looking at the clock. We've got about five minutes left and uh, we were gonna talk about one last topic, which is your approach uh, at Virgin Pulse to hybrid and flexible work. And we've got just one slide here that you gave us on that. So let's spend our remaining time pivoting from, from learning culture to the related topic of, of hybrid and flexible work, if we could. Yeah, and so I won't, um, you know, we talked, we chatted a little bit about this as we as we launched the session, so I don't want to, um, you know, repeat anything. I did just a reminder here. I mean, I, I think it's, as we're looking at our learning culture to us, it, it is really encapsulates, you know, being a hybrid, uh, hybrid first. And so you can see here on the left side of the screen, what we were really trying to accomplish around um, creating our hybrid model. I mentioned earlier the results uh, of, of our employees helped to drive what direction we went into. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we had really three objectives that we were we were um, mapping to employee satisfaction and well-being, right? I mean, a lot of people have gone through significant amount of change just personally over COVID and pandemic, and we wanted to respect that in terms of how people worked. We also wanted to have a connected culture, though, you know, because we are very, you know, with nine different companies coming together and very globally dispersed, it was important for us to have, in addition to our values and behavior, kind of a thread that brought all of us together. And we wanted to make sure that we were increasing that productivity and collaboration, and we already spoke about that. Let me speak about a little bit about the connected culture, though, because I think this is important. And so I think, you know, over to the right here, you can see some of the things we put in place. We actually did um, two things that I want to call out. One is um, we did do extensive manager training, and we continue to do that, right? Because I think we're still kind of evolving around what is hybrid and how do you work in it and how can you be you know, productive. Um, and so we're continuing to provide tips and techniques and how to work together and collaborate. We, we put together this cultural champions idea. And so we actually do have culture champions around the world and they come together on a very regular basis. And what their focus is, is on a couple of things, not only the facilities and kind of the classic, but also what are those moments that matter that are important for us to really come together. And what we've defined is when we have these global town halls or that we have watch parties on a regional basis, but we've now kind of worked towards a regional um, culture nuance where we have our culture champions kind of facilitating and leading um, connection points with all of our employees, but more on a regional basis since that seems to work to be uh, what works for us. And trying to put in place as much as we can those connection points uh, that matter to people, because I think that's one of the things we all agree we've kind of lost is that personal connection, not coming into the office. So we're trying to replicate that through um, uh, not only our values, our purpose and our mission, but also through connecting with each other in a virtual space. Yeah, I love that. I love the culture champions and the fact that they're from all your global locations. Um, th that gives the organization the ability to sort of see what's working culturally, uh, for, you know, and sort of curate the best the best practices from the ground up uh, from from across. So Kevin, what's your reaction to what you're seeing here on, on on this approach to hybrid and flexible work? 
Well, I think it's fantastic. I, 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 what I love most, Di, just listening to what you're talking about is, is even though you, you are really fully in on the remote thing, with 60% of your workers now remote, this is a muscle that's so new to so many, and it's got to be reinforced. I mean, you're placing such an, uh, an impact as you should on the culture of Virgin. And if you're saying we're fu- you, know, you can work fully remote, the last thing you need are you know, bias creeping in and other things that, allow, that tell the people that are being recruited in, for instance, you're going to work fully remote and have all this opportunity to feel like, you know what, I'm not getting as much opportunity as someone who does show up over here or what might happen. And I, I just feel like the, the emphasis you're placing on the manager capability here um, is going to really uh, rule the, or it's going to prove to be the secret sauce, frankly. That's just my own, my own um, thoughts there. And, you know, Di, another thing that comes to my mind, just as if you could wrap it up, is given what you're working on, is there muscle within the HR function broadly at Virgin Pulse that you're saying, you know what, this is going to require a little bit of a tweak here, and this is how we're, we're going to account for that? Yeah, I would say, you know, so uh, a year and a half ago, there were 41 people on the HR team, and now there are 22. And don't be... You know, uh, it's not a takeaway, but what I'm very proud of the people team because we actually have 22 people who we don't need. It's not about quality, quantity. It's about quality. So we actually do have a very strong people team in place. Um, We have the skills and capabilities um, to really help us move this forward. And so every day, again, we there's a lot of things that we're doing from building a foundation around processes and operations, right? Because if you think about it, we had nine different companies coming together, you know, trying to standardize things like policies and processes and even tools. We had, you know, BetterWorks, ADP, all of this coming together. But what I'm really proud of the, the people team for is, you know, we're very focused from a business. Our people strategy is completely aligned to the business strategy. It wasn't, it's, it's, it came from, the business strategy versus being something that's separate. Um, And we're all here and the skills and capabilities that we have are around leading change, being very purpose and mission because we're a very purpose and mission driven company and we're all lifelong learners. So it's a great team of people that are curious, excited and and really um, wanting to learn themselves and develop and grow, but also be able to take the organization to its, its next stage of success. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.